This week's TribCast is sponsored by Lone Star College Works for Texas, providing real-world workforce training in state-of-the-art facilities to meet employers' demands. Find out more at lonestar.edu. And Chad Cantella has been providing excellent lobbying, political strategy, and business development support to clients for over 20 years. Learn more at teamcantella.com. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for Friday, December 23rd, 2022, the um, last uh, Tribcast before Christmas. This week I am joined by um, our immigration reporter, Odiel Garcia. Hey, Odiel. Hey, how's it going? Good. And I, of course, am Matthew Watkins, managing editor of news and politics for the Texas Tribune. This week, we are going to talk about Title 42 immigration and the situation in El Paso right now. Um, in March 2020, as the coronavirus was uh, you know, sparking fear worldwide, President Donald Trump invoked Title 42 of the Public Health Service Act of 1944, this measure allowed federal immigration authorities to immediately turn away migrants at the border, including those who were seeking asylum and would normally be allowed to stay while their claims were being processed. Um, the measure, you know, was kind of put in place. It allowed the federal government to do this when there is the, you know, spread of a deadly virus in the United States. Of course, the that virus has become widespread in the United States since then, raising into question whether it's really still applicable under this law. But there has been an ongoing fight and a court fight about this Title 42 measure ever since. Most recently, it seemed as though this um, this rule was going to be lifted on December 21st. But at the last minute, the Supreme Court stepped in and uh, basically prevented it from being lifted. Odiel has been covering this for the Tribune and you know, every kind of twist and turn around this, it seems like things change almost every day. Can you tell us the latest about kind of where we stand with this and what the next steps could be? Yes. Uh, so where we stand on Title 42 right now is uh, the Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court's pause on Title 4, uh, lifting Title 42 is still in place. Uh the states who asked for this request have turned in their arguments. The Biden administration has turned in its argument. And so now we're just kind of a, on a wait and see mode when the latest ruling comes out and if the Biden administration will lift Title 42 uh, or is allowed to lift Title 42, I should say. And, and if they are, uh, uh, the Supreme Court's ruling will give us a, a, a date on that. Right. And this has been kind of a um, kind of hard to follow legal fight in which oftentimes people are taking positions that maybe they don't necessarily uh, take in other situations. Of course, you know, the this was imposed by the, the Trump administration. It came about, um, you know, at the height of the kind of uh, fear around the pandemic, but also I think, you know, should be noted um was something that had been talked about even pre-coronavirus, right? Um, as came up as maybe just a measure to prevent um, immigration or, or or be more hard on immigration um, at the southern border. 
but you saw them kind of maintain it, um, you know, even as you saw the administration start to kind of downplay the virus. And now it is being kind of pursued and supported by, you know, people on the side of the political spectrum who are um, in many cases, um, you know, more likely to kind of downplay the virus. And then you've got, you know, the Biden administration, which is, you know, seeking to lift it, but has also shown their own sort of concerns and was, you know, as recently as this month, asking for more time from a federal court to maintain this. So it does just kind of seem like we've moved beyond the, you know, like the the original intent of this order, or at least the law, but people seem to be kind of using this law for their own kind of purposes in terms of like what they would like to see with immigration in this country, right? All right. I mean, I think you pointed it out. Uh, I don't think the irony is lost on anyone, the fact that, you know, states like Arizona or Texas who didn't, uh, their gover governments weren't imposing strict uh, COVID measures during the height of COVID, but at the same time are um, uh, fighting strongly for Title 42. And I think at this point, no one is pretending that Title 42 is about any public health measure, even though that that's what Title 42 is intended for. I think everyone, uh, everyone can see that everyone is using Title 42 as an immigration control tool. And, uh, you know, one thing that stands out in all of this is how, um, those who want to control immigration or have fewer immigrants coming into the country have really been able to control the narrative and has made has really made it seem like Title 42 is the status quo. Mm -hmm. Title 42 has only been in place for two and a half years, and it's been the first time it's been invoked in, in, the, in the history of the law. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in the Biden administration and, and, and first trying to get rid of Title 42, and then and then it appealed the lower court's ruling saying you have to lift Title 42 has also been sending sig uh, mixed signals on what it wants to do regarding immigration. Mm -hmm. So let's take a step back here. I think that that's a really interesting dynamic and um, something that I want to touch on a little bit more. But first, I want to ask a more simple question, which is just. Explain what the impact of Title 42 has been, particularly on border communities and on people trying to cross the border. Right. So um, something that experts have told me, and this is backed up by um, uh, even Border Patrol data, is Title 42 has created a bottleneck at the border, meaning that before Title 42, uh, people who were coming to the southern border and seeking asylum would have been processed, uh, either released or held in custody and uh, eventually deported. Um, what Title 42 is doing now is that it is holding back thousands of migrants on Mexican border towns, mm -hmm. and they're just waiting until Title 42 lives. Um, and for those uh, immigrants who can't be Title 42, if you will, mm -hmm. um, are being uh, are being released into are being processed and released into you know different border towns like El Paso, McAllen, um, and um, for some border towns they're not prepared to take as many uh, as many people into their shelters 
or as an example, El Paso has a small airport. So meaning that if these uh, asylum seekers or migrants who are looking to reconnect with family members across the U.S., they're not they're not able to purchase uh, plane tickets or bus tickets uh, immediately after being processed. So they're kind of lingering in in the streets or in shelters until until they're able to get a get a, a ticket out of town, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you know, I, I mean, one thing that I've also seen indications of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Odiel, is that it in in some ways might be increasing the amount of border crossings due to people crossing you know, being instantly removed and then, you know, crossing over again and again, you know, multiple times, essentially, where you might not have seen that as much before. Is that is that correct? Right. Yeah. That, that uh, you know, something to keep in mind is that Border Patrol doesn't release the number of unique migrants. So when we hear the word apprehension or encounters, what we're talking about is the number of times a Border Patrol agent has, enco- has encountered someone. So uh, as an example, Title 42 has been used 2.5 million times since uh, since the Trump administration started using it. Um, and what that number represents is the number of times uh, Border Patrol agents have expelled uh, migrants. Uh, so basically what, uh, what, what that means is that um, there are groups of migrants who are repeatedly trying to get into the U.S. and they keep getting expelled um, over and over again. I believe the recidivism rate at the last count was at 27 percent, and that's been the highest since uh, 2019. Um, You know, and I believe since 2015, the lowest was 7 percent recidivism rate. So ever since Title 42 came into place, the recidivism rate just skyrocketed, meaning uh, all it's doing is just keeping the border busy, keeping border patrol agents busy with at least a quarter of, uh, of the same migrants trying to cross. It, it just seems to me like this is so kind of emblematic of how much of a mess the immigration system in this country is right now. It's a situation that basically no one in any kind of area of any of the political spectrum is happy about the way things are going. We have this makeshift order that, you know, is supposed to be temporary that has now been in place for, you know, almost three years. And, um, you know, the courts seem to, you know, be changing things, you know, almost every week as things go. It, I mean, it, it, and we're basically, you know, being governed by temporary policies without much of a solution as to be what what should be doing long term. I mean, is that um, is that the sense that you get from people who are involved in these questions? Is that are they sharing that same frustration? Do they agree with that assessment? Yeah, no, you said uh, you said it uh, correctly. It's uh, they're sort of uh, we're being governed by these sort of short term policies and. I think regardless of whatever political spectrum or whatever sector in, in the in the U.S. you talk to, everyone agrees that our immigration system simply does not work for the needs that, that the private industry needs in the U.S. And the other thing to keep in mind is that this is a global phenomenon. You know, it's not just the U.S. dealing with asylum seekers. Um, uh, Chile and Costa Rica had also seen an increase in asylum seekers from uh, from from the neighbors in South America. Euro- mm-hmm. European countries also seen um, 
uh, high numbers of asylum seekers. And, you know, one thing that advocates and experts have been saying, this is going to take more than just one mayor, one governor, one president to be able to deal with. Um, and this is this is a worldwide problem that needs uh, a worldwide collaboration to deal with. Um, in the meantime, you know, uh, mayors uh, along the border um, and, you know, the governor of Texas have been using these sort of temporary measures, but uh, I think everyone can can see they're not going to be long term long term solutions. Simply closing off the border to asylum seekers is not a solution because they're going to, as we see, and as the data shows, they just keep trying to come in regardless of what sort of enforcement policies there. Yeah. And, and I think there is, is some ways in which the, the people, particularly the asylum seekers who are crossing over the border are being um, discussed in policy circles as though they are breaking the law by, by, by crossing the border. And of course, you know, it is not illegal to seek asylum. You know, you, you can cross the border illegally, but you know, they, you know, there, the system is supposed to be set up to allow people to come here and ask for asylum if, if they need it. And then for the government to weigh those claims and, and this, the way things are going right now just feels like a big mess for everyone involved. I want to talk a little bit about how per, that it particularly is playing out on the ground where you are. Um, but first, let's hear from a message from our sponsors. The Texas Bankers Association is the state's voice and advocate for the banking industry and more than 200,000 bankers throughout Texas. Find out more at texasbankers.com. And Texas Hospital Association. Our needs for hospitals didn't end with the pandemic. Join the Texas Hospital Association in supporting hospitals and Texas health. Find out more at THA.org. Okay, so Ariel, it seems like there is no place in the country where this is being felt more significantly right now than El Paso, where you are. Tell us a little bit about what's happening there these days. Right. And, you know, I think uh, what everybody is asking is why El Paso? Why are people coming through El Paso right now? And I think that's a more complex question um, uh, because it's not necessarily clear why. I mean, experts are guessing either drug cartels are rerouting migrants. I've heard migrants say, give a simple answer as the river is shallow here rather than through the valley. Um, some people are just following the crowds because it's safer to migrate in crowds than it is on your own. Um, but what we're seeing right now is, yes, a high number um, of migrants are crossing the Rio Grande right now and turning themselves in at, uh, to Border Patrol agents. And Border Patrol agents um, have so much room in their facilities after they process the migrants. Um, and even those who are not who are processed and being held in custody in detention centers, not everyone, um, there's just not enough room in, in, in those areas. So what they're doing is they're releasing them into shelters. And there again, there's just not enough uh, shelters. And these shelters are from uh, our NGO shelters, non-government organization shelters. So they depend a lot on volunteers um, to be able to help out at these shelters and to be able to have space. Um, and so right now, El Paso is scrambling to find city facilities to open up shelters. Um, and just last last night, I believe, or earlier this week, uh, El Paso opened up its convention center where they're housing at least a thousand migrants 
Uh, and next week they're going to be opening up two uh, vacant middle schools to be that will be used as, as shelter space. And uh, and apart from that, um, in the meantime, migrants are sleeping out in the freezing cold right now. Um, I've met migrants who've been here at least a week, uh, just not being able to get a ticket out of town. Um, and so, you know, every everything that uh, all the lack of resources that that. Uh, people had mentioned in about El Paso are now being highlight, highlighted, you know, a small airport, not enough uh, plane tickets out or not enough buses out or, you know, um, not having enough NGL shelter space. It, it's just all hitting. It, all those problems are just coming up to the surface right now because um, El Paso wasn't expecting this and wasn't simply just wasn't ready for it. Yeah. You had a story um, earlier uh, or last week about um, where you really honed in on the experience of one uh, migrant from Nicaragua, a fisherman named Victor Wilson. Um, tell us about what his experience was like and what he told you. Yeah, um, Victor, I met Victor um, earlier this month and uh, I re he's originally from Nicaragua, from the Corn Islands, um, and he'd been working as a fisherman for almost all his life. And uh, there just wasn't enough lobster for him to be able to sustain his family that, um, you know, he would get paid or his he would get paid based on how much his crew would would be able to load up boxes of lobster. And as time has gone on, you know, there's just there's just been fewer lobsters. Um, and so his family is growing. He has two uh, two children and they're, they live in a small, modest home. And he recognizes I need to be able to buy a bigger house. He did. He told me he tried to come here legally. He applied for a visa and was denied. Um, and of course, that didn't dissuade him. He still needed to be able to feed his family. So he decided to leave um, and it took him, a, I believe, about a month and a half to eventually get to Juarez. And from Juarez, he turned himself into the border border patrol and they processed him and just dropped him off at a bus station. He was confused. He didn't know where to go. He didn't have money. Um, and when I met him, he said he was going to spend a night on, uh, inside of a city parking garage until a good Samaritan picked him and a couple other migrants up to spend the night at his, at her house. Um, I haven't been able to keep in, in touch with him again because he didn't have a phone, but last time he told me was that he was on his way to Florida where he has a cousin who was going to help him settle. Mm. How much is this um, being felt by the residents of El Paso? Is it a noticeable change these past few weeks? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, it, it's kind of, um, you know, I, I think that when we talk about when people portray this as a crisis, we have to keep in mind that I think the crisis is felt most by the migrants and mm -hmm. city officials who are scrambling to get everything together. Mm -hmm. Um. As far as the majority of the residents, uh, you know, um, people still get up, drop off their kids at school. Well, not this week because they're on Christmas break, but, you know, people go to work, you know, people go out to dinner. They're still a nightlife. And, you know, it's kind of qu quite a contrast. Um, El Paso's Plaza is really busy during this time because of the holidays. So on one side of downtown, you'll see a lot of 
a lot of people, a lot of residents just enjoying their time with family. And then on the other side of the, uh, the plaza or downtown, you'll see a lot of migrants sleeping in the street. It is noticeable, um, but I think for the most part, it's not affecting day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And of course, you know, the other thing we have seen in sort of response to this is some increase in activity by Governor Greg Abbott. Um, El Paso has not been... Um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ariel, a hotbed of Operation Lone Star activity from the governor, the, the deployment of the Department of Public Safety and the National Guard in order to, um, you know, try to prevent uh, border crossings and things like that. But what we have seen is a, in a, a large number of National Guardsmen members deploying to the border and and kind of doing a show of force in, in certain areas right by the river right you you went and watched some of that earlier this week what did you see there right so you know a little bit of context on that is that for a while paso was hesitant to call a state of emergency um and as listeners may know uh, declaring a state of emergency requires is is to be able to ask the state for help and as you mentioned uh, governor abbott has responded to uh, the issue of immigration with enforcement and national guard and so when the city when the mayor declared a, a state of emergency um uh, the resources that the state sent in part was National Guard. And what the city wanted to do with the National Guard is to be able to help with logistics, help set up shelters, uh, help um, find migrants get into shelter space. And uh, what I saw uh, instead, and not that that's not occurring, but what I also did see was that National Guard us created a line along with uh, DPS troopers on the Rio Grande, just south of downtown El Paso, and set up uh, wire fencing to be able to prevent migrants from turning themselves into Border Patrol. Um, I asked Border Patrol at the scene if they were going to process them. They said no. And I found that very strange because the migrants were already on the American side. Mm -hmm. that legally they had to be apprehended by Border Patrol, but National Guard was preventing uh, preventing the migrants from accessing the agents. I did hear a, a National Guard member telling uh, a group of migrants, almost nearly 100, between 75 and 100 migrants uh, on this one specific day, telling them to go to the port of entry, go to the bridge and ask for and, and cross there. One thing to keep in mind is Title 42 has closed off the ports of entries from people seeking asylum there. If anyone would go there and ask for asylum, they'd immediately get turned away. So that's what I saw. Um, it, it's it, it's unclear why why National Guard was doing that, but I did I did see eventually that Border Patrol was processing the migrants. So what 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 practical impact does that have? Well, again, it just created a bottleneck. Um, yeah. it just, just made people gather there instead of letting Border Patrol being able to clear out the area, apprehend the migrants, and process them. All it did was just create a a a, um, a crowd there because the migrants weren't crossing back the river to the Juarez side; they were already on the American side. It was just a, a logistical matter of asking a Border Patrol agent, "I'm turning myself in." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And of course, you know, I think a lot of us took notice uh, who who follow the politics of the state that earlier this week, Governor Abbott was on Tucker Carlson's show and he was criticized by Carlson for not doing more with regard to this. And, you know, it always kind of raises some questions um, for us about whether that will prompt more action, because in the past, he has seemed to respond to that criticism in, in some ways. So I think a lot of folks kind of waiting to see whether another shoe drops here in terms of Abbott's actions related to the border, although he's done, you know, committed so much in state resources and things to this already. Um, one final question, Odiel, what happens if the Supreme Court were to decide today or next week or some other time that Title 42 can be lifted? How would that change things in the short and long term? Yeah, in the short term, we are going to see a significant number of migrants um, um, being uh, crossing and being detained and uh, most likely being released into into border towns. And not just El Paso, not just uh, along the Texas-Mexico border, but along the whole southern border. Uh, mm -hmm. As I mentioned, you know, um, it, Title 42 created a bottleneck and there are migrants who've been waiting in some cases up to a year to be able to cross. And so the day that that lives in the short term, we are going to be seeing a busy, uh, busy border patrol processing and releasing migrants and in turn, busy shelters. Um, and um, in the long term, what we're going to see, well, uh, you know, different national publications have reported on what the Biden administration plans to do. But something to keep in mind is that um, the U.S. already has immigration laws and there was already a process to be able to deal with the number of migrants crossing. And um, and so at the very least, what we are going to see is we're going to see what was being done before uh, uh, Title 42 went into effect. And that is when someone crosses the border uh, illegally, Border Patrol uh, will arrest, apprehend them, process them, and the person most likely will be charged with illegal entry into the country. And that's a misdemeanor. If it's the, if, if it was more than, if they had tried to cross more than once, it would be upgraded to a felony. Uh, and so we'd be seeing uh, immigration courts more busy, criminal courts more busy with uh, with criminal cases and seeing some, some more migrants being deported. Um, so there, there'd be that process, but there is speculation and there have been uh, news publications saying that Biden administration wants to create a different system to be able to help uh, prevent uh, uh, so many migrants crossing and, and also creating programs that people may be able to apply for asylum from their home countries, which is something that doesn't exist right now. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, we will continue to watch this. Thank you, Ariel, for all your work and for explaining this to us today. Um, thank you to Justin as well, our producer on this show, and thank you to our sponsors, Lone Star College, Chad Cantella, the Texas Bakers, Bankers Association, and the Texas Hospital Association. Uh, for all those who celebrate, Merry Christmas this week. Hope everyone has a peaceful and happy holiday, and we will talk to you all next week. Do I have to talk to you?